On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I am Cecily Link, and today we are going to be talking about track number six on Kate's debut album, The Kick Inside, the song that started it all, Wuthering Heights. Today on the podcast, we have another call-in guest. This is somebody whose music I found on YouTube when I was looking for Kate Bush covers. He is a YouTuber and a fellow musician and, of course, fellow Kate Bush fan, Luke McQuillan. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time out of your uh, your day to talk about Kate. Yay! Yay! You're very welcome. So Weathering Heights, um, she actually had to push for this to be the first single because they all wanted it to be James and the Cole Gun. Yes, I'm glad you brought this up. I am so glad that they went with this one because James and the Cole Gun's a good song, but it, it's a little bit more like standard 70s, if that makes sense for Kate Bush. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's actually... It sounds more like something you might have heard on the radio at the time rather than Weathering Heights where it's like what was that? <laughs> yes, absolutely. And you know, I, I think it's so wonderful and it's such, it's such a, a testament to herself as an artist, really sticking to her guns. Cause she, she just had this feeling it's gotta be Wuthering Heights. And, and I don't know that there were many other female artists at the time that could have pulled that off, you know? And, and I think that, um, mm. I think that's an example for, for, well, not just female artists, but any artist to to stick to their own artistic integrity and and fight for what they believe in. Because I mean, obviously, Kate had the right uh, the right instinct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and apparently, and I, I believe it was in Under the Ivy um, where it was mentioned that after the song did so well, the record company gifted her a piano <laughs> as, a, as a, okay, all right, all right. You were right. You were right. Yeah. Well, and you know how, how fantastic because that just, that set the tone for her entire career that, you know, okay, well, mm-hmm. Kate's not to be messed with. And I think if you set those boundaries early on, you know, in, in any relationship in life, you know, you will, you uh, will earn your respect. You'll get respect. And it also, I I know in in the media from what I've what I've seen from various interviews and such on YouTube, which has been just a treasure trove of interviews and various things about her. Since you know, I mean, you and I, we weren't we weren't around at the time, nope. <laughs> <laughs> so we get to go watch this late, like thirty years later. Right. That everybody, I think, has this image of her as this. Oh yeah, she's this naive like. Wee fairy girl. Uh, no, no, no. She's she's like 
she wants it done this way and she's going to get her way. Yeah. And (laughs) she's a pretty strong person. Yes. And I love that about her. And, you know, I, I've often been somebody that's been, um, called like a B type or something or somebody who's more quiet. (laughs) And that's, that couldn't be further from the Mm -hmm. truth. You know, I, I stand up when it's important. And I think, I think Kate is probably the same type of person, you know, that she's mislabeled or misidentified. Um, yeah. And I actually watched a great video recently that was sort of debunking that A types and B types don't even exist. And and I think that's probably true. <laughs> yeah, and apparently she she also wrote this in one night. Yes, yeah. And uh and I think she was quite a bit younger than because I think she was seventeen when she wrote it or sixteen. Um, let's see. Um look kind of look at my notes. Uh Apparently, it's estimated that she wrote it on March 5th, 1977. Uh, she's, she was born July 58. So, yeah, not quite uh, not quite 19. Okay. So, a little bit older than I thought. But still, wow. I mean, to have that grasp. Yes. To have that grasp of not only music, but poetry and, and the human condition. And it, mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just shocking. And I hope that she knows how special it is and how special it was. Because if you watch interviews in sort of her mid-career like around hounds of love and sensual world she really sort of tries to distance herself almost from the first few albums and says oh i've come so far Mm -hmm. as an artist and and i've grown so much and i was so young and so naive and i want to just be like kate you were a genius always (laughs) you know (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. like everybody sees it um but you know it's probably it's hard to get distance yourself as an artist, you know, and I think we all judge our past harshly, you know, in our past works. Yes. And, uh, but I, especially us artistic types. Yes. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah. You're always just pushing forward. And, uh, but, but I do think that in spite of being the first single and, and in spite of her being so young, it's a fantastic song. You don't even, that's, you know, that doesn't even have to be part of the narrative. It's not, a fantastic song for an 18 year old composer. It's just a fantastic song, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I think that, um, I think that doesn't get said enough. And I know at this point she'd been, she had been writing and writing and writing for years, just at home, introverting, sitting at the piano, just composing stuff and not even talking about it really to many other people outside of her family. Yes. Yeah, I think her father was one of the only people that she played music for, is my understanding. And I'm guessing probably mm-hmm. her brothers also. But but I know that uh, her father was always the first person that she would play new music for, uh, which I just think is really sweet. And I, and I love that her parents were so supportive and nurturing. Because, you know, there are so many people, there are so many parents that would say... Well, you know, that's that's nice and you can do that in your spare time, but this isn't a career. This isn't, you know, not not very many people make it in this field, you know, blah blah blah. And so I think I yeah. think um the role of her family as nurturers and protectors really can't be underplayed. You know, because they they not only did they nurture her and and encourage her, but they helped her set up her publishing company, which is why she was able to retain so much of her power and so many of her rights. And, uh, Mm -hmm. and I think that's really important. Yeah. Especially for, for that, you know, that, that time period when she could have easily gotten screwed over, 
but instead she had her family and everybody else supporting her and making sure she uh, got to keep all of her rights. Yeah, absolutely. So I found a really cool quote from Kate. This was retrieved from gaffa.org and is part of a newsletter that she sent out to the Kate Bush Club in January 1979. This is about how she wrote the song. I wrote it in my flat, sitting at the upright piano one night in March at about midnight. There was a full moon and the curtains were open. And every time I looked up for ideas, I looked at the moon. Actually, it came quite easily. I couldn't seem to get out of the chorus. It had a really circular feel to it which is why it repeats. I had originally written something more complicated, but I couldn't link it up, so I kept the first bit and repeated it. I was really pleased, because it was the first song I had written for a while, as I'd been rehearsing with the KT band. I felt a particular want to write it, and had wanted to write it for quite a while. I remember my brother John talking about the story, but I couldn't relate to it enough, so I borrowed the book and read a few pages, picking out a few lines. So I actually wrote the song before I read the book right through. The name Kathy helped and made it easier to project my own feelings of want for someone so much that you hate them. I can understand how Kathy felt. This is from Record Mirror, an interview she did in February 1978. She says, when I first read Wuthering Heights, I thought the story was so strong. This young girl in an era when the female role was so inferior and she was coming out with this passionate, heavy stuff. Great subject matter for a song. I loved writing it. It was a real challenge to precise the whole mood of a book into such a short piece of prose. Also, when I was a child, I was always called Kathy, not Kate, and I just found myself able to relate to her as a character. It's so important to put yourself in the role of a person in a song. There's no half measures. When I sing that song, I am Kathy. And this song didn't even chart in the U.S. I was trying to see if, there were, if it even, I don't think it was even played on the radio here. Oh, see, I was, but I know, I was under the impression that it did chart, but really low. Okay. I thought it went to... I'm going to pull up Wikipedia here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know a man with a child in his eyes. Man with a child in his eyes charted here, but it was in the very low reaches of the chart. It was like number 85. But I I, I went to Billboard to you know, on Billboard.com, which, by the way, is a really tough site to navigate. Yes, it is. There's just so many ads. I find the UK version of like looking up their charts to be a lot easier to navigate than the American one. And I didn't see anything about Wuthering Heights. Now, as for the rest of the world, it was a huge hit. It was number one for four weeks in the UK. It went to number one in other countries, but not real sure of the U.S., but I know they had a lot of lot of hard time trying to classify her here. Like, oh, is she rock? Is she pop? Right, and and also, she you know breaking into the the U.S. market wasn't a priority for her, and mm-hmm. never has yeah, been. Never has been, and you know I think she only did one TV performance on SNL. Uh, to mm-hmm. promote the kick inside, and she didn't even perform Wuthering Heights on that. She performed uh, the Man with the Child in His Eyes and Them Heavy People. Um, yep. Which so you know, I think that's really interesting. <laughs> I don't. I just don't think she cared. Um, but I no. think if she, 
Which is weird because, I mean, a lot of British artists are like, they're like, oh, yeah, we got to break America. And her, she's like, eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, and I do think that if she if she had tried, she would have found success. But, you know, it's it's up to her. And uh, see, released her performance after being delayed for two months. Okay, Wuthering I... Heights was officially released in early 1978 and entered the top 40 in the official singles chart in the United Kingdom at 20, number 27 on February 18th and quickly rose to number one three weeks later, dethroning ABBA's Take a Chance on Me from the top spot. Oh, my gosh. I love <laughs> Jury, that. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, she dethroned Ab. Good, good job, Kate Bush. You dethroned Ab. <laughs> I didn't know that. Bush, be- Bush became the first female artist to have a self-penned number one hit in the UK. Uh, the single release unwittingly pit- pitted Bush against another female vocalist, also charting with her first UK hit, Debbie Harry, with her band Blondie and their single Denis. Hmm. Oh yes, I love that song. Um, Amid much public discussion about the two singers' merits, Bush came out on top while Blondie stalled at number two. Interesting. Okay, I'm on I'm yeah. on the larger discography page, and apparently it did come to 108 <laughs> on, oh. on the Billboard Hot 100. So it was, I think that's technically the, what do they call that? The bubbling under the Hot 100 charts? Yep, the bubbling under, yeah. So she didn't quite make the Hot 100, but she did get to 85 for the man with the child in his eyes. And then later, running up that hill, got to number 30. Yes, her biggest Don't hit. give up. Number 72, don't give up. And then 88 with Rubber Band Girl. Yes, and you know, it's it's funny because she did have chart success here on the modern rock charts, I think she actually mm-hmm. had a number one song on that chart. Yeah, uh, Love and Anger. The, uh, the song reached number one on the U.S. Billboard Modern Rocks track chart. Bush's only chart topper on any U.S. chart. Well, I can't wait to get to that song because that's actually one of my favorites yes, of hers. Yes, that is a fantastic That's song. way later. <laughs> yeah, I've always wanted to cover that song. Um, maybe this will inspire me to do that. <laughs> Maybe. Actually, I was working on that song. I found the sheet music for it and I was working on it with my voice teacher and my voice teacher was kind of going, huh, this is interesting. (laughs) Most voice teachers I go to and I I bring a Kate song and they're like, who's that? And I go, well, let me give you education here. So the subject matter for the song is based on the only novel that Emily Bronte ever wrote, also called Wuthering Heights. Emily Bronte was one of the three famous Bronte sisters, Charlotte and Anne were the other two, who were also writers. Charlotte Bronte wrote one of my absolute favorite books, Jane Eyre, and Anne Bronte wrote Agnes Grey and The Tenet of Wildfell Hall, which are also really, really awesome books. Not a lot gets said about Anne. But Emily Bronte lived long enough to write this book. This was written between October 1845 and June of 1846. She published it under the pseudonym Ellis Bell. In fact, all the other sisters did that. And it was quite scandalous on release (laughs) because this novel, if you've never read it, is very dark. (laughs) Um, The way to kind of describe this book, it is... Like a romance gone way, way wrong. 
Like you got this heat guy named Heathcliff who's been brought home by Mr. Earnshaw during a trip to Liverpool. He's a gypsy kid. He, so he looks very different from the rest of the family and Heathcliff and Kathy, who is the younger daughter, he and Kathy fall in love and she wants to be with him, but she's thinking more about her own social status. And so they don't end up getting married. She gets married to somebody else. Spoiler alert, she dies. And then the rest of the book is Heathcliff trying to enact revenge on everybody. Very, very dark stuff. And yet I was a fan of this book. <laughs> like, believe it or not, I liked this book. I read it when I was in eighth grade and sure some of it went over my head but I for some reason I was just really drawn to this book and hence later the song you had said that you um were a big fan of the book and and I wanted to get your opinion because I have I have read Wuthering Heights and and what do, do you think the song is a a faithful does it do this the book justice I think it does um what I could gather of the lyrics when I first heard the song as a 16-year-old, she captured the atmosphere of the song, um, which she she seems to, she's, she's definitely playing the role of uh, Kathy Earnshaw, who, um, who is, uh, and there's a particular part in the first, it's in the first few chapters when um, one of the characters is coming to stay at Wuthering Heights, and he's staying in the he's staying in Kathy's old bedroom or he's staying in one of these bedrooms and Kathy's ghost comes to the window yes. going, let me in, let me mm -hmm. in. Yeah. That whole, I totally got that. That was the part of the book that she was referencing. And also later on when Nellie, the, the servant, cause it's all told, I, I seem to remember it was all told from the point of view of the servants. And she mentions that Heathcliff and Kathy would go out on the moors and they would just spend hours and hours out there. So yeah, I feel like it was, it was a really good, it was a great interpretation of the book. I just wasn't all that keen on the vocal performance <laughs> at 16, <laughs> but now I love it. I've, I mean, I feel like now that I'm a older, I can appreciate it because I can see where she was. Yeah. She was going for this, very otherworldly witchy kind of sound that most pop singers don't try to go for. They most pop singers just try to go for middle of the road. Not to say that she's pop because she's not. Right. She's just Kate. She's just her own genre. That's yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I agree. I think it's a, it's a very faithful, um, almost a little mini film adaptation, mm -hmm. which is ironic because I, th I think, my understanding is that it is based on a movie version of Wuthering Heights that mm -hmm. Kate saw. And, uh, and I would love to watch that version. I'd love to, to see the movie that spurred Kate Bush, you know, to write this fantastic song. Um, but I'm not sure which one it is, you know, so I would love you know, to I figure that out. I thought that I had read somewhere that it was a version uh, with Timothy Dalton I watched that version and nowhere in that version was there Kathy's ghost at the window going, let me in, let me in. Really? So I don't, yeah, I, I thought I read in some interview where somebody said, oh yeah, this is, she's talking about the 1970 version with Timothy Dalton. I rented it from Netflix and I kept waiting for these supposed last 10 minutes that inspired her. And I'm going, 
okay, where's Kathy's ghost? It was, so I don't think it's that version, but there have been so many adaptations of that book. Yes. Wuthering Heights and Jane Eyre get the most amount of attention. Like nobody pays attention to Anne Bronte and turn into Wildfell Hall, right. but you know. Yeah. Which also is a really good book. I just recently read that because I, I had never read Anne Bronte's stuff. I had read Wuthering Heights and I'd read Jane Eyre and that was it. Yes. Well, you know, in, in the book Under the Ivy, which is a fantastic biography of mm-hmm. Kate, yep. he does say that she went to, after she was inspired to write the song from the film, she did go and read the book. Um, so I, I'm wondering if the book inspired the chorus or if or if you're right and there is another movie version that uh that mm-hmm. has that ghost scene at the window so that we have a we have a mystery on our hands that we do so anybody listening out there if you know exactly which version it is hit me up because i would love to know which one yes but it doesn't surprise me that she was inspired by a movie because in so many of her other songs, she's inspired by movies. Yes. Yeah. One of my favorites is this woman's work. And she oh, yeah, she, she wrote work. that watching. I, I don't know if it was mm-hmm. the dailies or if they had a, a print of. Uh, it's a she's having, she's having, a, having baby. a baby. Yes. And mm-hmm. uh and then she cre- and then what's wonderful is that she was able to create a totally different storyline for the song uh for her own music video and i just yeah. and i think that's another testament to kate's music it can mean so many things to so many people and and they're all sort of right you know which is which is mm-hmm. really cool so i wanted to take just a moment here to read the passage in the book that the chorus is referring to at this point in the story we're in chapter one and the narrator at this point is mr lockwood he has come to stay at wuthering heights which is a huge mansion out on the yorkshire moors in northern england and he's come to stay the night it's very stormy outside and he gets placed in what used to be kathy's old room and this is what happens This time, I remembered I was lying in the oak closet, and I heard distinctly the gusty wind and the driving of the snow. I heard, also, the fir bough repeat its teasing sound, and ascribed it to the right cause. But it annoyed me so much that I resolved to silence it, if possible. And, I thought, I rose and endeavored to unhasp the casement. The hook was soldered into the staple, a circumstance observed by me when awake but forgotten. I must stop it nevertheless, I muttered, knocking my knuckles through the glass and stretching an arm out to seize the importunate branch, instead of which my fingers closed on the fingers of a little ice-cold hand. The intense horror of nightmare came over me. I tried to draw back my arm, but the hand clung to it, and a most melancholy voice sobbed, Let me in! Let me in! Who are you? I asked, struggling meanwhile to disengage myself. Catherine Linton, it replied, shiveringly. Why didn't I think of Linton? I had read Earnshaw twenty times for Linton. I'm come home. I've lost my way on the moor. As it spoke, I discerned obscurely a child's face looking through the window. Terror made me cruel, and, finding it useless to attempt shaking the creature off, I pulled its wrist onto the broken pane and rubbed it to and fro till the blood ran down and soaked the bedclothes. Still it wailed, let me in, and maintained its tenacious grip, almost maddening me with fear. 
How can I? I said at length. Let me go if you want me to let you in. The fingers relaxed. I snatched mine through the hole, hurriedly piled the books up in a pyramid against it, and stopped my ears to exclude the lamentable prayer. I seemed to keep them closed above a quarter of an hour, yet the instant I listened again, there was the doleful cry moaning on. Be gone, I shouted. I'll never let you in, not if you beg for twenty years. It is twenty years, mourned the voice. Twenty years! I've been away for twenty years! Thereat began a feeble scratching outside, and the pile of books moved as it thrust forward. I tried to jump up, but could not stir a limb, and so yelled aloud in a frenzy of fright. To my confusion, I discovered the yell was not ideal. Hasty footsteps approached my chamber door. Somebody pushed it open with a vigorous hand, and a light glimmered through the squares at the top of the bed. I sat shuddering yet, and wiping the perspiration from my forehead, the intruder appeared to hesitate and muttered to himself. At last, he said in a half-whisper, plainly not expecting an answer, Is anyone here? I considered it best to confess my presence, for I knew Heathcliff's accents, and feared he might search further if I kept quiet. With this intention, I turned and opened the panels. I shall not soon forget the effect my action produced. Heathcliff stood near the entrance, in his shirt and trousers, with a candle dripping over his fingers, and his face as white as the wall behind him. The first creak of the oak startled him like an electric shock. The light leaped from his hold to a distance of some feet, and his agitation was so extreme that he could hardly pick it up. "'It is only your guest, sir,' I called out, desirous to spare him the humiliation of exposing his cowardice further. "'I had the misfortune to scream in my sleep, owing to a frightful nightmare. I'm sorry I disturbed you.' "'Oh, God confound you, Mr. Lockwood. I wish you were at the—' commenced my host— setting the candle on a chair because he found it impossible to hold steady and who showed you up into this room he continued crushing his nails into his palms and grinding his teeth to subdue the maxillary convulsions who was it i have a good mind to turn them out of the house this moment it was your servant zyla i replied flinging myself onto the floor and rapidly resuming my garments i should not care if you did mr heathcliff she richly deserves it I suppose that she wanted to get another proof that the place was haunted at my expense. Well, it is, swarming with ghosts and goblins. You have reason in shutting it up, I assure you. No one will thank you for a doze in such a den. What do you mean, asked Heathcliff, and what are you doing? Lie down and finish out the night, since you are here. But for heaven's sake, don't repeat that horrid noise. Nothing could excuse it, unless you were having your throat cut. If the little fiend had gotten in at the window, she probably would have strangled me, I returned. I'm not going to endure the persecutions of your hospitable ancestors again. Was not the Reverend Jabez Branderham akin to you on the mother's side? And that minx, Catherine Linton or Earnshaw, or however she was called, she must have been a changeling, wicked little soul. She told me she had been walking the earth these twenty years, a just punishment for her moral transgressions, I've no doubt. Wuthering Heights was your first exposure to Kate, as it was mine. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Okay, we're on the same page here. Well, how did you first hear Wuthering Heights? Oh, that's an interesting story, because uh, it involves uh, an internet search. <laughs> and actually, I was, about, I was about 16, and I was super into the book Wuthering Heights. Mm -hmm. 
And I was curious as to whether there was a song written about it, because I knew there were songs written about books. And I went on an internet search looking for, um, looking to see if there was a book about Wuthering Heights, because I loved that book. And I loved, I've read a lot of English literature. And so, you know, I was, I read a lot of those kind of books. And that's when I found Wuthering Heights. I listened to it. I'd never heard of Kate Bush before. I listened to it, and three and a half minutes, three and a half, four minutes later, I went, what was that? (laughs) (laughs) I I had never heard anything like it before. I thought it was interesting, and I didn't get why it was a big hit at the time. I mean, I heard this. This was like 2001 when I heard it when I was 16. And then um, a couple of years later, my mom got me the red shoes for Christmas because the lady... I was I really was interested in they didn't have um, they didn't have her her stuff at FYE. And so my mom, on the recommendation of the lady working at the store, she said the lady said, hey, you, since your daughter likes British female artists, she might like Kate Bush. Wow. So here, give her this album. So she gave my mom a copy of the Red Shoes. And so I opened it at Christmas and I went. Oh yeah, that Wuthering Heights girl. <laughs> what a good, really... what a good Fye employee. Wow. <laughs> it, it, it was that was a very very knowledgeable employee. Indeed. And my mom was like, I've never heard of this Kate Bush, but she said as she recommended it. <laughs> and so I just I listened to that album, and then I I um, listened a lot to Flashback Alternatives, which plays a lot of underground 80s music, and I still listen to them occasionally. It's an online radio station. I kept hearing her stuff, and it eventually just grew on me, and it's just, it suddenly went, oh my god, I really, really like this. <laughs> and now I love Wuthering Heights. Yes, yeah. You know, a lot of people come to it that way. They sort of have this roundabout uh, way to it. And, and actually I had sort of the opposite experience because I, I heard Wuthering Heights, um, sort of secondhand. And what I mean by that is, um, my sister was on YouTube and YouTube had just started. So this was probably 2005, 2006. And one of her friends knew that she liked Tori Amos and said, well, if you like, Uh... if you like Tori, you need to research Kate Bush. And so I was sitting in the same room as my sister and I was reading, and I would love to say that I was reading Wuthering Heights. That would have been such a great story. But <laughs> but no, I, I think I was reading Harry Potter, so I'm not sure. And um, yeah, and and so the music starts, and just even with the first few chords, I look up from my book, and I'm like, "What is this?" Because I, I had I had already been um, writing music for for many years, and I recorded an album when I was 16 at a local studio. And sort of self-funded it before it was popular, and um, and self-released it. And when I heard Wuthering Heights, I was just like, "Wow, there's this musical language out there that 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 I've been waiting to hear my whole life, and I didn't even know it." And mm-hmm. and so I just got chills, and I was like, "But of course, I also had that sort of what on earth was that, you know?" Because I think everybody mm-hmm. has that, and I think that was also, <laughs> you know, from the interviews I read with Kate, I think that was her intention. She said she was doing quote mm-hmm. witch voice, and um, I, I one famous uh, interviewer. Uh, said that his mother described it as a bag of cats, which, <laughs> which I just love that because because I love cats also. <laughs> so Me too. I, I got three of them. Yes, I've got <laughs> I've got two, 
and uh, and I just thought that was so funny. And I remember my mum uh, called rest her soul when she first heard Kate Bush and I played it brought it home, didn't I? Oh, Johnny, it sounds like a bag of cats. <laughs> Even though I had that initial shock reaction that I think everybody does, I I did love it, and and I spent that whole night sort of almost obsessively listening to it over and over again, just trying to unlock its mystery because it was so bizarre to me. And I was like, I've got to figure out this song and I've got to understand this song. And I was just hypnotized by it. And, um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, come to find out, of course, that was her first single. And at the time I didn't know that, but I, I do kind of love the fact that I got the same introduction to Kate as the rest of the world, because you're not being born in 1978 or anywhere close Mm -hmm. to it. I could have stumbled across any Kate Bush song, but I do, I do kind of love the fact that, that we got that introduction, that same introduction that everybody else got. And, uh, and from there I listened to her album sequentially and I sort of, almost went on that journey with Kate. You know, I, I didn't skip around. It was for some reason, it was important to me to go album by album. And so Wuthering Heights mm-hmm. was, was really the the start of that. And it was uh, the start of my Kate fandom. And beginning of mine too, pretty much. It took a while for me to get there though, but I eventually did. And I went, oh, this is awesome. A strange and lovely and fascinating song, Kate. What was it about Kathy and about Wuthering Heights that caught you that made you write it? Well, I saw a series on the television about ten years ago and it was on very late at night and I caught literally the last five minutes of the series where she was at the window trying to get in and um, it just really struck me. It was so strong and uh, for years it's just been going around in my head like the basic story and, and that visual image of her at the window and I thought it was just perfect material for a song. It's just so passionate and full of impact it's great and i read the book you read the book book later (laughs) yeah i read the book before i wrote the song because i needed to get the mood properly is the pitch of your voice there your natural comfortable singing pitch or do you deliberately heighten it to get the the effect of kathy this ghost-like effect yes i do i do deliberately heighten it just because it's what the song calls for um but it's comfortable as well do you have to, do, does it strain your voice to do it? I mean, do you take lessons to get, get it technically right so that you're not hurting your vocal cords? No, I didn't actually take lessons to do that, but I do have a teacher um, who I haven't seen for months, in fact, but he keeps an eye on my voice to make sure I'm not pulling it around too much. musician so i and i'm a musician too oh wonderful so i nerd when i listen to her music because especially for the wuthering heights i love the key changes she does so many of them oh my goodness yes and i'm glad you brought that up because that's one of the things i wanted to talk about because Mm -hmm. from a music theory perspective wuthering heights is just well first of all it's so bizarre as a pop song because most most pop songs follow one of two chord progressions, and that's either Pock Bell's Canon or it's the mm-hmm. old um, Heart and Soul.
And most pop songs follow those one of two chord progressions. And their Wuthering Heights couldn't be further (laughs) from that. And um, when I transcribed the song to do my cover of it years and years and years ago on YouTube, I sort of had this epiphany and I was like, oh my gosh, you don't get to the home key. You don't get to the home chord until halfway through the chorus. And I just thought that was so interesting. And it reminded me of this, uh, and you know, I don't know if this is true. This was told to me by one of my music theory professors in college, but there's this great sort of anecdotal story about young Mozart and, um, his father would go to the piano in the middle of the night and he would play a scale, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, and he would end on T, which is just so, it just makes you cringe mm-hmm. you just want that resolution. And so that as, yeah. as the story goes, young Mozart would get up out of bed, go to the piano and hit do, you know, and sort of finish out, <laughs> finish out the scale because he had to, he didn't have a choice. And, and I think it, that sort of relates to Wuthering Heights in a way, because all throughout the verse and the first part of the chorus, there's this tension and there's this, like, where is this going? You know, and as a listener, mm-hmm. it just really draws you in. And so when you get to that home, it's almost euphoric in a way. And uh, mm-hmm. it, because you finally have this little tease of resolution before, of course, she goes right back off the rails and back to the, you know, this wonderfully bizarre chord progression. And uh, and I just love that. I think that um, I think that's a, a reason people like the song and they might not even know the the theory behind it, you know. Yeah, I'm looking actually at the sheet music now. I've got uh, the complete Kate Bush yeah, it starts in A major. It goes A, F, E, C sharp, A, F, E, C sharp, which you never have. You never, usually never have F major right after H, A major. Right. <laughs> Although I admit in some of my own songs I've used that. Like I'll go between, there's one of my French songs I, I write in French in English. Oh, that's awesome. And I, and I, it, it goes... The, the chorus is in E, and then it suddenly switches to F, and then it goes to back to A, and then it goes up back to F, and then it goes back to A, because I like the te- that tension yes. in there. So. Absolutely.
whole story version the one where she sang it eight years later what's your take on that you know that's a really interesting question it's it's every artist's prerogative to revisit you know a classic i don't know if there was pressure on her to prove that she could still hit the high notes or whether <laughs> there was pressure on her from not having toured for so long and she wanted to sort of give the fans an updated uh weathering heights uh you know i'm not sure but i Part of me mm -hmm. loves the new version because her vocals are so powerful and she's really come into her voice. Mm -hmm. but, on the, but on the same hand, um, she did this very human and I think uh, it was intentional leaving the what she calls the bum note. You know, the, on um, the bridge, uh, we're about three quarters of the way through the song and she sort of has a faulty note. And, um, oh, what's the lyric? Oh, is it? It's on the, it's me. It's me, Kathy. Yes. I can't sing that high. Yes. <laughs> I'm not a soprano. Well, I'm a mess. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. I noticed that the, it, it did sound like it was a little strained, but I'm, but see, I'm glad she left that in. I like it when things aren't completely perfect, which I know completely goes against what Kate usually likes to do with her music. Well, I think, and there's some theory about this, which, which I think could be true. You know, Kate always likes to humanize herself because there's this mythology around her and there's this sort mm -hmm. of goddess like status and devotion that some people have. And I think by sharing her mistakes, she's reminding us I'm a human too and and I really do feel that that note was left in there intentionally to sort of say, you know, well, I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. It has a little bit more depth to it yes. and it, it's not quite as, it's not quite as like way up there in the mask. It almost sounds like, like in the original, like it's, she's like, she is up there. She's floating around in the stratosphere and this one, she still hits the notes, but there's a depth to it. Exactly. It's, it's like she Which, changed the placement. I, I think you're absolutely mm -hmm. right. I think it went from being almost in her nose or in her mouth, really at the front of the mask. And it goes deeper back into maybe the soft palate. And, um, you know, I'm not sure if she decided to not do the witch voice for, for this version <laughs> or, you know, maybe she couldn't. But I, but actually, I don't think that's true because I think the witch voice makes a reappearance on uh, the Red Shoes mm -hmm. and uh, a couple of other uh, songs on that album. Um, so I think it was intentional of where she placed mm -hmm. it the second time. I'm really curious how she feels about Wuthering Heights now. I, I you yeah. know, I know it was such a source of parody at, at one time. Mm -hmm. and, and well and still is really i mean as recently as uh um the the gentleman from the mighty boosh i'm forgetting his name noel 
uh, oh, maybe no, not Noel Coward. No, <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. Fielding I'm, is it? Some maybe Nigel. Nigel. I'll, I'll have to look this up. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure, but you know, he he did Wuthering Heights for comic relief, and then Kate ended up hiring him for the Deeper Understanding music video. So, so you know, we know that she was watching. She sent him this message of good luck, and that was publicized. Um, so I think she's taking it all in stride and, you know, she knows that, mm-hmm. you know, Wuthering Heights has this, this, uh, secondary life. tremendous parody of that done by Faith Brown, which we're going to see in just a moment. Did, did you enjoy that when you saw it? Yes, I thought it was incredible. I, I think she's a genius. All right, let's look at it again now here. had a smile at that how, how, how did the uh, the technique uh, your own technique actually evolve the one that was being parodied there by uh, faith brown who in fact is a guest in a couple of weeks well I'd, I'd just like to say that i think the amount of research she must have done i mm. mean she must have watched that video so many times because the movements are just they're better than mine you know <laughs> when she falls over and you know speaking of that have you ever done mm-hmm. the most weathering heights day ever have you have you heard about that i have heard about that and I didn't get to participate in that at all. Um, I understand it was basically, it wasn't like a flash mob. You basically show up dressed like her in the red dress and everything and you do the moves. Yes. And it's, and there's flash mobs all over the world and there are several here in, mm-hmm. in the United States and I haven't participated either, but I definitely want to. Yeah. Um, I would probably be the person that would show up in the white dress just to make everybody <laughs> of the video do you like because i understand there were two versions yeah and i like both versions i'm actually looking here to like an art print that i got that has the weathering heights moves and it's her in the white dress so it's the white dress version um i like both versions one is very 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 70s yes <laughs> <laughs> and then like whoa yeah this is like i feel like i'm going back in time here and the other one it just oh it's her 
in a forest and she's in a pretty red dress from a pawn shop or whatever. <laughs> Which version do you like best? Because I like, I like both versions. You know, I definitely prefer the white dress version. I don't dislike the red dress version. Um, mm-hmm. it, and it's probably just because the white dress version is the first one I saw. I think everybody likes, you know, the yeah. first version of whatever, whether it's a film, a book or whatever, whatever their first, uh, you know, relationship with that piece was that made them fall in love with it. That's, you know, always going to be the first. I do understand there's this argument about the red dress version that she's out on the moors. It's more fitting for the song. But but come on, I need those cartwheels. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the cartwheels. Oh, because that was one of my favorite things to do as a kid. So I look at that and I go, oh, flashback to when I was a kid. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I actually love the 70s effects. It doesn't bother me. I think that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I do too. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think this the simplicity of it, you know, just Kate alone on a black stage with a little smoke, it, it really lets the song and, and mm-hmm. Kate do the talking, you know, and she... She is the piece and her, her body and her dance moves just bring everything mm-hmm. to life and bring the song to life. And you don't need anything else. You know, it's, it's a lesson in simplicity. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so for me, the white dress version is just like perfect, but I know there's a lot of people that love the red dress version too. So I don't want to upset those people. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with the red dress version. <laughs> I agree. I like both versions for, you know, I'm with you. I, I like the the red the white dress version because it is so simple and the red dress. Well, I I like to sew, so I look at the red dress and go, "Ooh, I want to try and replicate that." Because yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like sewing a lot of forty, mostly forties through seventies, and so I I really like the I like the style of the red dress. Yes, although the white dress would be really pretty. Although that that would probably involve sewing with really expensive silk or something like that that I can't afford. Yeah, you know what's interesting? It's interesting that you bring that up because when I first watched the video back in the early days of YouTube, you know, it was like probably mm-hmm. 240p or something. You know, it was really ridiculously low quality. Oh god. And so when I finally saw it in higher quality and I realized that the dress was sheer and that there were all there were all these other elements to the dress that I never noticed and all this lace and stuff and I was like oh my gosh it's not just a I just thought it was plain white dress I really did I didn't realize oh see that's what I thought it was too yeah no there's all this oh I'm gonna have to rewatch there's all this lace and stuff (laughs) and and when she's backlit you can see you like you can see through the the skirt and stuff like that and it's not in a salacious way it's it's nothing that's not Mm -hmm. you know she still is is uh it's not compromising modesty or anything, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but you know, it is this, uh, this sheer lace. And I, and I was like, oh, wow, you know, a little more thought went into that than, than I realized. Cause I just thought it was a, mm-hmm. a plain white dress. But it was really neat that they, that they even thought to do music videos for this song. Cause I, I understand that MTV wasn't even around until 1981 yeah it was it was pioneering you know she she's definitely Mm -hmm. got to have one of the first music videos i uh i wouldn't be surprised if it's uh you know that was probably the early days of that and i i think there was some kind of music channel that predated mtv in great britain or maybe launched around the same time Mm -hmm. i'm not sure um but that that bears some research i don't want (laughs) to Yeah. Speaking of like the live stuff. So what do you think of the live? I know she did this live on um, 
Top of the Pops and other, she had other TV appearances that she did, Wuthering Heights. Um, do you have like a particular, have you seen a lot of the, uh, the, the TV appearances and stuff that she did with the song? Yes, I I think I've tried to track down every single one of them because, of course, I. Oh. <laughs> that's that is quite an undertaking because I'm sure there's stuff that's lost. Like they just went, eh, we're going to record over this. Yeah, we're not going to keep it. I'm sure there are there are things that lo- that are lost. You know, my favorite performance of Wuthering Heights. I'm not even sure if she was live, but she's in an amusement park in. Oh, I want to say oh. the Netherlands or Denmark, mm-hmm. and she's she's in a graveyard, and I just thought it was so appropriate because um, you know the subject matter of Wuthering Heights and that she's a ghost, and and I just thought that was a really cool setting of the song, and um, mm-hmm. I have seen the very the very 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 first performance of Wuthering Heights, and um, you know I you can see where she's going and you can see what she's, she's going to become, but you can also hear just the terror in her voice and you can, mm-hmm. you can hear the nerves. And, and so part of me, you know, I, I am very empathetic person. And so I just, I, it, I have trouble watching that very first performance. Cause I just want to hug her and be like, you're, mm-hmm. you're amazing. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise <laughs> go out there and own this performance. And now making her debut on top of the pops is the exquisite Kate Bush with her new single Wuthering Heights. But I, I really think that if you go from that performance to uh, a tour of life performance, mm-hmm. you know, you see this this huge confidence boost and you see this huge progression that she's made. And uh, and I also you know, bless her for putting the hardest song that she has to sing at the very end of an incredibly grueling yes. show. I still don't know how she pulled it off night after night after night and i don't know either i mean after dancing around for two and a half hours my voice would be pretty tired too yes absolutely Boston. 
I have been able to sing up to, I think one time I sang, I did a gig where I sang up to three hours and I was okay, but that's because I've like worked up to being able to sing for that long and lots of voice lessons to to get me there. That's right. You have to have good technique if you're going to sing that long. You know, I was, I was a professional singer for the National Park Service for three years and we sang a, a, a historic group of singers singing songs of the Lincoln era and um we did five shows a day and you know it was it was very taxing it was very grueling and you have to have the discipline and you have to have and not only do you have to have the vocal health but you have to have physical fitness to you know to be able to endure that and and i think mm-hmm. and i think kate approached her training that way i think that you know from the biographies i've read and and like interviews with lindsay kemp um you know, she was incredibly dedicated to developing dance and developing her choreography. And and I think that she put in those hours and that's why, you know, the tour of life was so impressive. And that's why she was able to Mm -hmm. sing Wuthering Heights after two hours of, of grueling performance. So I think, you know, I really think those early Kate shows are to be commended and, and that dedication that she showed to her music is, is so special and just not found nowadays. You know, I think most pop stars nowadays probably just go into the studio and then mm-hmm. they show up for a live performance and they sort of sleepwalk through it. And, um, and it, that's not to say there aren't artists out there who take it seriously. There are, but, um, I think the really massively produced stuff that's, you know, top 40, I don't know that we we have that dedication anymore. Have you heard any other cover versions of this song? I yes, I've heard uh quite a few have you heard the youtuber it's a guy he sings it in the original key in one take yes and and i actually was was really (laughs) was really jealous because i've been singing it in the original key for years i've just never i've just never posted it um but i was a little boy soprano so i you know i was used to being up there in the rafters and even through puberty i somehow sort of was able to maintain it sort of through falsetto and um but yes, I uh, I was quite jealous because I I was like, well, I should have put mine up there. I can do it. But <laughs> <laughs> you should you should post it. I'd be really curious to hear another guy version of it because it, it's hard for a girl. Yes, it, it really is. is. It's an incredibly it's an incredibly <laughs> challenging song. I did actually. There is a little snippet of of me singing it in the original key because I don't know if you've seen it, but. I did a um, a little animated parody called a Kate Bush Christmas, and I do oh, I um, my Kate Bush impression singing all these different Christmas carols, and and they're all based on her music, and and sometimes I just change the the lyrics to her songs and uh, make them Christmassy, and it's it's cute, it's it's been well received, and I had a lot of fun making it, and I do sing Wuthering Heights in the original key, and that, um, but it's only it's only oh. the chorus, but that is the highest part of the song. Um, mm-hmm. so there, it is out there just a little bit. And of course, the splendor of Kathy calling for Heathcliff at Christmas.
This holiday 2015, it's a Kate Bush Christmas. Available exclusively Record Store Day, April 2016. And I was hunting around YouTube for other covers, and there was this uh, Italian singer named Mia Martini. Honestly, I not don't really like her voice. Her voice is so raspy that it just doesn't really work for me. But it was interesting to hear that melody sung in Italian. Yes, that would be interesting. Well, and it's so operatic. It, it might. I'll have to look that up. Um, you know, my favorite cover version is actually a, I believe she's Swedish, but she sings it in English. Her name is Myra Malmberg. And, um, she, she creates, well, I don't know if she did the orchestration herself, but, but it's a, um, fully orchestrated version and she sort of slows the song down. It, it sounds more like something out of a musical, something out of huh. like even, even Sondheim. And mm-hmm. her, her voice is so impressive and so beautiful. She sings it in the original key. And, um, at first I thought it was a little too slow for my taste, but it's, it's actually become my favorite cover version. It gets For a fun version, you can look up. Uh, there's a ukulele group. <laughs> uh, oh, actually, I have heard that version. It was yes. on like BBC Proms or something, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. and that one's that one's really cute. Yeah, because um, I'm like just hearing it over ukulele. It's just okay. This is definitely making the song your own. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Too long, I'm roaming the night. I'm coming home. To put it right, I'm coming home to the ring, the ring, the ring. Hi, Chief Cliff. Chief Cliff. Yes, me. I'm Kathy. I've come home now. So go, let me in your window. Oh, 
Now, we could be here all day <laughs> just talking about the cover versions that have been done of this song. It was such a wide-reaching and popular song that there it would take ages to go through all the different covers. The last two that I want to highlight are from non-native English speakers. The first one is from a French singer. She goes by Nolan Lecroix, and she sang this for a live TV show. The other is from Elisa, and she's Italian. She sings in English, but she also sings in Italian sometimes. So it just goes to show you how far-reaching this song is across even non-English-speaking cultures. And then I've got to give a plug to myself because I'm that conceited. <laughs> no, actually, no. <laughs> I, no, I was totally going to be like, hey, so since you're a musician, you got a YouTube channel, which is how I found you. Hey, you want to do a little plug for your stuff here? So <laughs> well, thank hopefully, you. you know, people will, people will uh, listen and they'll go, okay, yeah, she was talking about Wuthering Heights with this uh, Luke dude. Hey, I'm going to go look him up. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I, uh, I've been on YouTube now for 10 years <laughs> and, mm -hmm. uh, I just broke a thousand subscribers. <laughs> that's, that's both fantastic and really depressing. <laughs> <laughs> well, how depressing though. Well, no, that it took me 10 years. Oh, that it took you. Oh, it's no, probably going to take me a while. Cause I've only got a little over 100. <laughs> <laughs> you'll you'll get there you'll get yeah there. But, but no i'm just i'm just being hard on myself because because i because i am but oh, um, i i am too actually <laughs> yes i i've done wuthering heights twice on the channel once as the song as it was written i did this this really goofy thing i i wasn't comfortable in my body and comfortable in my sexuality and so i did this weird like third party third person and i changed like the chorus to she said Heathcliff or something ah. you know and uh so I, which in a way kind of honors the novel because it's that guy in the in the room who visits the ghost or who the ghost visits mm -hmm. um the traveler, I can't can't remember his name, but yeah. Um, oh, I think it's Mr. Lockwood. Actually, let me look that up. Wuthering Heights. But yeah, so I thought I had some precedence for the change, okay, but but I look back on it now and I sort of cringe. So I I need to record it and just own it and sing it as you know, as if a woman was singing it, um, and mm -hmm. no shame. 
Uh, <laughs> and uh, and then I did a mashup of Wuthering Heights and Lake Tahoe. I had mentioned how I thought those songs had mm-hmm. similarities, and uh, and the lyrics even fit really well. I, I I basically just did very minimal modifications to the lyrics of Lake Tahoe, and put them over the music of Wuthering Heights, and uh, I'm really proud of that. And that that actually won a contest. It won me the picture disc that she put out for record store day several years ago in oh, cool. a, a little online contest and so i was really proud of that and um and then of course there is just the chorus for the christmas version of wuthering heights <laughs> in my <laughs> uh kate bush christmas uh animated parody so so uh you can look those up on youtube.com slash luke mcquillan awesome yeah, thank you. Thank you for the chance to to plug my work here. Yeah, of course. But anyway, wow. Well, um, it's been awesome uh, talking to you. And thank mm-hmm. you so, so much for inviting me on this. I've loved this. And uh, yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for your time. And, and it was great to talk to you. And yeah, absolutely. And I can't wait to hear it. And uh, I will be listening, mm-hmm. of course. And uh, and do keep in touch and uh definitely we can do it again yeah um anytime you want to come back on and talk about a kate song i would love to talk with you again well, thank Yay! you thank you so much If you are listening and you want to be on the show to talk about your favorite Kate song, or you just want to talk about Kate with a fellow fan, or you know something about this week's song that we didn't get to talk about, please hit me up either on email, KB, that's B as in boy, KBcast at linkmedia.com. That's link with an E. You can also find me on Twitter at StrangeKateCast. And you can also find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Kate Butch Podcast. I would love to hear from you. See everybody next week. To achieve the American dream, the big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From airship. The studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. 
Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.